Stop! You violated the law. It's the full preview podcast. USC 287. What's up guys, let's go! This is the full preview where I talk about every single fight of the upcoming pay-per-view from the UFC and today is the, the turn for for UFC 297, Strickland vs. Duplessis which might just have the jankiest main event of all time in UFC I mean, no, not of all time, but in recent memory, memory for sure, we we would have to go like way back to find, and I'm not calling them bad. It's just that it's just a weird like, janky funky fight. Uh, this is going on at Canada, so there's a lot of Canadian fighters. And let's get into it because we have twelve fights to talk about, and the opening prelim is. Malcolm Gordon versus Jimmy Flick. This is a flyweight bout. So Malcolm Gordon, a grappler that fights at a frenetic pace. He pressures behind long strikes on the feet, often losing uh, his footing, trying to extend combinations or trying to change levels to get to his opponent's hips or legs. He mostly attacks on a straight lines and and he can be like out positioned uh, when he's throwing his big strikes but he's relentless pushing forwards. He has decent pop in his punches and he carries power late into fights, but the footwork issues can be augmented as fights go on. He can finish takedowns from open space shots and from the clinch, he's physically strong for, for the division. He goes for a lot of shots, even risking getting reversed or losing position, but his good mix of BJJ and wrestling make him hard to hold down or get ground and pound going against him. He's very keen on taking risks from top position. He will go for submissions and back takes and will try to finish quick, sometimes relinquishing position in the process. His chaotic nature also translates to grappling, where he's a constant pursuit of scrambling, passes and submissions, make him dangerous, but also can leave him exposed to reversals and submission attempts. On the other, on the other side, we have Jimmy Flick who is also a grappler. Uh, Flick fights heavy on his front foot, looking to land his jab, uh, a, looky, a loopy right hand, heavy leg and body kicks, and sneaky chambered high kicks that add a little bit of flavor to his game. Um, Jimmy Flick is not very nimble on the feet. Uh, he prefers to pressure, as he can slip into counters and parry shots well when he has the initiative, but mostly defaults to putting up his high guard and backing up when he's put on the back foot. Uh, Jimmy Flick Flick plays off the threat of the level change well and he will transition into shots uh, after putting combinations together but he does most of his best uh, wrestling inside the clinch either using trips from body lock or over-unders or timing level changes against the cage from close quarters. Uh, once on the mat, Flick's, Flick is an aggressive and flowy submission grappler with a great flow chart to his disposal and will transition from attempt to attempt usually having options to bail and remain on top. That said, he's no stranger to sell out on submission attempts uh, if he feels they are close and he can sacrifice position during those. But he's a resourceful grappler from bottom position who will use sweeps and sub attempts to reverse or create a space to get back up. Flick is tough and well conditioned, but his athleticism is up to par to the lead of the division. So, the first fight of the night should be an exciting scramble fest. Both guys have striking shots and tools to exploit the limitations of the other on the feet, in my opinion, but I also doubt they will be shy to engage on the ground. Both are very aggressive and constantly looking for submission attempts. But we will find contrast between the athleticism and chaos of Gordon against the more like methodical while still aggressive style of flick. This seems like a very close matchup and neither of the two could win on the feet or on the ground but I expect Flick's grappling uh, versatility to be able to neutralize Gordon who might be the better pure wrestler here and might get on top early but won't have a cardio advantage on this one and will find himself getting reversed. So the pick is Flick by submission on round number 3. Next bout is a flyweight bout between Jasmine Jasuda Vicious against Priscilla Cachoeira. 
Jesuda Vicious is a grindy clinch wrestler. She pushes forward on the feet looking to land her right hand and fill the gap with kicks until she finds a clinch entry. She has become more competent and aggressive on the feet as of late and does good use of her long frame to find her right hand, putting the jab in front of it. Once in the clinch, she immediately pushes uh, her opponents to the fence where she works for trips from body lock. If her takedowns are defended, she has a good eye for strikes during breaks, especially elbows. She's smothering, uh, I mean, she has a smothering top control with good passes, can land a steady ground and pound, and if she gets to a dominant position, uh, the ground pound can get a lot heavier. Uh, she's well conditioned and very tough. The biggest problem for her are the lack of versatility to her wrestling and the shallow defense to her striking. On the other hand, we have Cachoeira. Cachoeira is stiff, but physically very strong. Uh, she's a big hitter that lacks subtlety leading, but her power allows her to make opponents think twice and can afford her space and time. She doesn't have a deep countering game, but she does have some variety with her right hand in the form of hooks, uppercuts, and good timing to find it. She throws hard in the pocket and has some defensive skills there, moving her head proactively and using a high guard. And she's also pretty decent at catching kicks too, so that's something to consider here against the taller Jasuda Vicious. Uh, the takedown defense is fine uh, when she gets like time to defend, especially if she gets underhooks as she's very strong in the clinch, but she can be taken down when she plants her feet to throw, uh, especially squaring herself for the right hand. Uh, and once on the ground, Cachoeira is not a high level grappler from bottom position. So this one is all about Cachoeira's ability to keep the fight on the feet, and she should, as she should have a decent advantage in there, but that advantage is not as big as the one that Jasmine would have on the ground. There is a good level of danger involved for Jasuda Vicious here. Uh, she cannot try to enter the clinch sloppily as she can get countered with her shin up in the air, as she usually does, and Cachoeira is very strong if she finds underhooks. That said, I think Jasmine's aggressiveness, toughness and output might put her in danger, but will also be key for her success. Cachoeira has been easy to take down when she throws, and her takedown defense can also be exposed in prolonged exchanges if uh, fighters are willing to change wrestler against Gage. If Jasmine ends up on top, the difference in grappling ability is considerable. So my pick here is Jasuda Vicious to get the submission in round number two. We move up to welterweight for the next one is Johan Lainez against Sam Patterson. So Lainez is a powerful striker. Uh, it's, he's mostly about big strikes. He likes, he likes to move on the outside, sometimes throwing with a light inside leg kick or a stiff jab, looking for spot to throw big single strikes or blitz in combination. His side-to-side -side mov movement and stepping feints add some depth to his otherwise uh, straightforward striking game. He has a huge overhand right uh, that is his go-to punch, but he can use the spectation for it to land a clean strike right in the form of a 1-2 from time to time. And he also has a wide leaping left hook that presents some danger. He has heavy rear kicks, hard stepping jabs, and those allow him like to score safely without taking the risk of the right hand, the leaping left hook. His defense mostly revolves around distance management as he tends to lean back when presented with counters during his blitzes. He's vulnerable to same-time counters, Lainez will put his high guard back up and eventually circle after exchanges. He will shoot for reactive takedowns if he's put on the back foot to mash. Uh, he's not a very good wrestler, but he's physically strong, fights grips decently well, and that allows him to both defend takedowns, but also defend well when he fails his takedown attempts. So he can like bail when he's failing a takedown attempt and not end up on bottom position. Uh, he's a decent, if unremarkable grappler. He will work his way back to uh, up to his feet, insistently taken down, and has a decent headlock to work, uh, front headlock game, I mean, to work with during scrambles. Cardio and durability are decent but not special, and he can get tired if forced to work as he tends to move a lot and throw everything like super hard. And on the other hand, we have Patterson, a very tall and long. He likes to attack in open space with long one twos and leg kicks constantly feigning to disguise his attacks, and he likes framing of punches to attack with knees and kicks. He's vulnerable to loopy shots as he has his chin out in the air. He mostly wants opponents to close distance to fade back in an angle and try to land the, rear, the straight rear hand. Uh, not very imposing in the clinch. Patterson does know how to use his frame to find knees and elbows, but he's less effective when his back is against the cage. 
Other than distance, his most reliable tool for defense is looking for tie-ups, and he does a good job of, of using his length to find reactive color ties, but he can be vulnerable during breaks. Uh, he has also a good sprawl from which he can transition to his front headlock game. Uh, he has a good series of guillotine, power guillotine and darts. Uh, he's also good at taking the back and throwing in the rear naked choke, arm triangle changeup. His defense during prolonged wrestling exchanges at a high level remain unknown. And he seems to have good cardio durability. Um, uh, but how those fare up uh, this new weight class remain to be seen. Patterson will probably look to be the slicker fighter in this one, trying to pot shot Lainez from the outside, and his pull counters will come in handy against the big movement entries of the Canadian. That said, the risk of for him is big if he hasn't fixed some of the defensive issues, because Lainez carries big power and will attack with wide loopy shots that might find the sheen of a retreat in Patterson. Earn that that grappling is also an unknown in this one, as Patterson should hold a pure BJJ edge here, but he was not very physically imposing a weight class down, uh, he's moving from lightweight up to welterweight here, and it is not certain if the move up will make him stronger or weaker relative to his new opponents. Uh, not confident in my pick here, but I gotta go with the pro proven product at the weight class, I'm picking Lainez by a knockout on the first round. A throwaway bout is up next. We have Gillian Robertson against Poliana Viana. Almost forgot Gillian's name there. Uh, Robertson is a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt. Uh, she's a functional, if unspectacular, striker on the feet with decent footwork who looks to feign and move. His head looking for shots. Her reactions and defense aren't the best, but she's tough and it allows her to put herself in position to find clinches or shoot for takedowns. She's not very quick, Robertson can have trouble finding clean entries to her level changes, but she can transition to clinches or strike during breaks well. If she gets a path to the hips though, she has a very clean single leg takedown and can also chain wrestle well from that position if denied on her initial attempt. Uh, since moving back down to straw weight, she has been physically strong during clinches and wrestling exchanges. One top position, Robertson is a brilliant passer with heavy pressure and also resourceful from her back, be it playing guard or looking to wrestle up with the single leg. Robertson has a legit armbar and triangle, but she shies uh, with her rear naked choke. Being a good back taker, a good back taker using ground and pound from mount or finding it during scrambles, uh, Robertson lacks a lack of speed, especially during transitions, has been her biggest weakness against top opposition. Opposite to her, we have Viana, shooter uh, box Diego Lima product. Viana fights from a flat-footed grounded stance that allows her to deliver big power, both with her hands and feet, including a nasty rear body kick when she fights herself in open stances. Uh, not, a not a lot of head movement, but she will lean back looking for counters with accuracy and power. While she can be aggressive and find success being so, her output can be lacking at times, she's a bit inconsistent with her volume. She's decently strong in the clinch, will look for knees and also elbows and kicks during breaks. Her takedown defense is lacking as she will often try to find clinches or go to her guillotine to this way takedowns, but uh, her grounded and upright stance has made it difficult for her to defend takedowns consistently. And this is augmented by her willingness to go to her back to play guard. On the flip side, she's a good guard player, very good with her submission, I mean, uh, tri triangle armbar series from which she has a variety of setups and she's also very good at stalling, stalling any damage and avoiding passes from top players. That said, she doesn't have many tools to get back up against fighters willing to just eat time on top position. If she finds herself on top, she's potent with ground pound and her submission game is still present from top position. Uh, Biana's biggest flaw are her inconsistent output, her shallow defense, both on the striking and on the wrestling faces. Viana should be a live dog in this one as she will have a big power and speed advantage on the feet and has the grappling chops to survive early scares in the ground against Robertson. That said, it is hard to side with her with her willingness to play guard as Robertson will be more than content to eat up the clock from top position and might even manage to pass her guard as she is a better grappler than the girls Viana have been styling from bottom. Viana has danger and this would be a good fight to show him, uh, improved takedown defense as Robertson is not ex an explosive wrestler. 
but I cannot expect her to to not find herself on her back for extended periods here uh, because Robertson is greedy and a good chain wrestler. Robertson by decision is my, is my final pick. The next fight is a contender series rematch. Uh, after many thought their first fight was stopped too early, so we have here um, Seri CD against Ramon Taveras. They say like Tavares most of the time, but it's like I don't know. I always say Taveras here. Uh, so CD, uh, he likes to operate in open space, but he has flexibility to his movement, able to move forwards or sit back. He likes to fight behind an active lead hand, fading with his shoulder, looking to punch up with a nice jab. He has solid kicks and those complement his distance game. He can punch up to the body and legs well, uh, but what he really wants to do is draw reactions to counter. He can fade back behind his jab or lead shoulder to angle and look for single shots, or he can stand his ground and put combinations together. He's a solid puncher with both hands, but his head, his head can be stationary during prolonged exchanges. His lack in defense when he gets aggressive is alleviated by his good understanding of rhythm and by his variety. And he seems to have a decent transition game and plays off the level change threat well. But his actual level in grappling isn't clear against high level opposition. And his opponent who lost uh, their first encounter by knockout and analyst stoppage as we said is Taveras. A southpaw with quick hands. Taveras is also a counter puncher who can put good combinations together. Taveras prefers to pressure to draw reactions and he can fill up space with a sneaky jab and a clean and fast naked straight left. He's also an ambidextrous puncher, he likes to counter off slips and he has decent variety being able to do it slipping to both sides with both hands and also varying targets going to the head and to the body. If an opponent starts backing up or starts to wilt, he will up the aggression uh, leading more and he has nasty punches to the body and also nice kicks to the body so he really takes over like that. Takedown defense has been solid so far but his the his choices of grips when defending takedowns uh, can be a little bit concerning against high level wrestlers in my opinion his head movement is also dependent on reads and he can be caught with his head on the center line when he's extending combinations if we go by the short lived first encounter between these two this should be another banger between aggressive and dangerous counter punchers and it really could be anyone's fight and it could just come to who lands the big one first just like it happened the first time Feels like a coin flip to me, but I think Taveras has a tiny bit more depth to his game if this one goes long. I'm taking a gamble here, um, so Taveras uh, evens the score and they get to 1-1 with a second round knockout. By the way, that last fight uh, is going to be contested at Bantamweight. And we move up one weight class to Featherweight because we have uh, a bout between Char Jordan and Shang Woodson. So Jordan, a dynamic action fighter who strikes well from both stances. He's good at using immediate setups to get his big shots going. He can throw clean strike shots, but also likes to step in with shifting hooks, framing off strikes to follow up with big, more big blows. Uh, Dextro's kicker, he can kick the head and body with great speed. His shifts can put him in the clinch where he's good at fighting grips to land knees and elbows with good head positioning. He's a dangerous swarmer against the cage, putting pocket combinations together and continuing the onslaught with knees in the clinch if his opponent tries to grab a hold of him. Uh, footwork on the outside can be a bit messy at times and he can be easy to pressure to the cage. Once pressured, he can default to his high guard to a fault, but opponents need to be aware about his counters as he will throw hard even when he's out positioned. His clinch entries can also leave him exposed footwork-wise and he's not the most stern takedown defender, mostly relying on scrambling from the ground to keep fights up on the feet. He's a good grabber though, he will push uh, or use butterflies aggressively from guard and he has a tricky half guard using deep half and octopus to keep movement happening and has a very dangerous guillotine. His opponent is Sean Woodson, very tall and long kickboxer. Uh, a boxer mostly actually. Uh, Woodson is constantly feigning a variety of strike but mostly like to jab from open space though lately he has been opening the kicking output with leg kicks and snap kicks to the body. Woodson is at his best when he gets to pot shot and counter in open space using his length or pressuring opponents against the cage where he can put his combination punching together being particularly good at punishing the body. 
Apart from the long distance, he said uh, Woodson liked to defend shots with head movement and shoulder rolls. Uh, he has good eyes, but he has big reactions, and despite flashes of good footwork, his cage craft can be lacking, and he can find himself against the cage easily, especially when faced with aggressive combinations. Uh, Woodson is strong in the clinch, and he makes, use, uh, he makes good use of his long levers to neutralize foes with a strong whistle or getting underhooks, and he has good timing to pivot back into open space. He also is continuously pot-shotting with hammer fists in close quarters and his height and long legs afford him dangerous knees from positions many fighters don't expect. He's a decent wrestler and grappler. He knows how to use his length and size to wear on opponents and despite the sloppy, mom sloppy moments during transitions or looking for submissions, he's urgent about getting back up and he uses his long posts well in those situations. This should be a very exciting fight between contrasting styles but these two share some similarities and flaws, but both guys are at their best when swarming opposition against the cage, but both had been easy to pressure themselves in the past. So this one is interesting because both guys are easy to put against the cage and both make their best work, uh, like just putting volume on guys against the cage. Inside the clinch, both guys like to be very active and while Jordan issues have been related to him being out position, Woodson have been, the, the issues of Woodson have been uh, being too accepting of positions, especially with his back against the cage. The big movements of Jordan will probably allow him to push Woodson back early, but he needs to be careful with the counters and not finding himself backing up too much. The Canadian will be the more potent kicker and he needs to use that in open space. If Woodson gets to pressure, I expect him to make better use of his spots bang into the body of Jordan and worry on him inside the clinch where I think Char will be uh, troubled by the length of the American fighter. Jordan is also probably the better technical grappler, but if Woodson fight takedowns and Matt returns against the cage, he will be relatively safe there and he can use those transitions and strikes to add up the attrition. It is a very close and well-matched fight Jordan will likely have the bigger moments, especially early, but I think Woodson will be more consistent, especially with attrition work over three rounds, and he wins a decision here. We go back to Bantamweight for the next one, as Brad Katona faces off against Garrett Armfield. Katona is a smothering wrestle boxer, very heavy on the front foot, looks to push his man against the cage to begin the wrestling onslaught. Uh, he's a good chain wrestler, specializes in finishing the double against the cage and looks to work rights as the opponent is looking to build up his base. He has no problem standing for long periods of time against the fence, though he can also be effective at striking inside the clinch with a smothering cage control. Uh, he has pretty quick hands with decent pop. Katona likes short compact combinations, but his output can be very high if needed and he has a penchant for having the last word in exchanges, usually tracking opponents with loopy shots or his jab when they think the exchange is over. Of note is his solid left hook to the body, particularly on the counter. He can't be vulnerable to leg kicks as he's so front foot heavy and lacks depth to his head movement, relying mostly on his counter ability and footwork so he can be set up with longer combinations. But his ability to just die for takedowns gives him a very solid safety blanket. Takedown defense can be spotty, surprisingly, but he's a solid scrambler. Despite this, he can be put, if someone manages to put him flat on his back or caught by a clean shot when he's punching, uh, he can force to lose time trying to set up sweeps or get ups from bottom. Although he has a solid guard uh, with a good triangle and armbar attacks um, that he can use to scramble if he's forced to play BJJ, he can have trouble getting back up. He doesn't have like reliable pads to his feet there. Uh, cardio toughness and greediness are some of his best attributes. And on the other hand, we have Armfield, a Killcliff FC fighter. Armfield likes to fight behind a stiff jab, looking for openings to follow it up with short combinations. Having a good variety of punches from both sides of note are his left hook and the straight right and right uppercut. He can slip the first shot to counter and he stays aware during exchanges, mostly looking to land counters off the lean pack. He attacks the body regularly, uh, having a liking for the straight right to the, to the body on the counter and tracking retreating opponents. His head movement leans on the reactive side so he can be surprised with the straight shots and he can bite into feints. Uh, he's a solid wrestler and grappler 
are feelings and shy about smothering opponents against the cage, be to defend, um, to defend, grabbing reactive, reactive clinches, to regroup, or to work takedowns against defense, where he can lean on opponents and work and work his mat return game, especially if he gets to the back. Uh, also good at reactive double legs, Arfil is a competent mat wrestler who will keep scrambles going and he's greedy looking to turn opponents over and get to the driver's seat if he's put on the defensive. Uh, also when defending takedowns he will look to break grips or generate movement with rolls like rambis and, and the such. He can be stuck in bottom position if put flat on his back and his scramble style can leave him vulnerable to submission attempts. So this one could go a number of ways of ways and it depends on how willing to grapple these fighters are. Katona is the most likely to look to impose his wrestling but Arfil is not likely to just accept position and will look for takedowns of his own if engaged in that area. Katona is more of a rinse and repeat wrestler than a smothering top position grappler so it's probably, probably that they engage in a multifaceted MMA fight. I feel like Katona's cardio and more controlling approach to both grappling and striking will give him the edge here. Arfield can compete in all phases, but my guess is Katona will be the one dictating the pace. And I'm not sure uh, the Killcliffe fighter will keep up for three rounds. Katona earns a decision one way or another here. Before moving to the main card, guys, I want to remind you that the full preview is brought to you by X Marshall. The combat sport brand dedicated to supporting the jiu-jitsu community. Their goal is to create a fun training environment with unique and exciting designs and promote the gym culture we all love. X Martial offers a range of products including rash guards, shorts, spats, keys, streetwear and training equipment. Use code THEFIGHTSIDE to get a 10% discount on your order now. That's the site, all caps, no spaces. And for the best deals and discounts, sign up to their mailing list and follow their socials at Official. So let's move on to the main card. And opening the main card, we have an important bout at 145. We have Arnold Allen versus the undefeated Movsar Ivloyev. So let's begin with Allen, a tri-star southpaw that mostly likes to move on the outside. Allen has a good jab and moves side to side, uh, finding the lead hand well to set up his janky but very powerful left hand, which he can also throw in the form of an uppercut to the body. Uh, he's light on his feet with bouncy footwork. Allen will look to close distance, stepping in with combinations, and he will look to move his head or his feet after attacking. Not usually an active kicker, Allen packs big power with his legs as well and can play the salpo double attack effectively. When put on the, def on the defensive, Allen will either cover up or frame with one arm trying to hide behind his shoulder and has good discipline about circling, but his upper body and footwork can look a bit disjointed at times. He has He's very good at transitions, Allen can change levels of his left hand and is also good at finding strikes off clinch breaks. Despite what appears to be clumsy, clumsy mechanic at times, Allen's, Allen is a good athlete, being agile and physically strong for the division. This aids him in his wrestling and grappling endeavors where he is strong in tie-ups and quick to generate scrambles. He has been susceptible to level changes in the past and improvements on prolonged mat wrestling exchanges remain to be seen. When it comes to striking, his biggest flaws are his susceptibleness to leg kicks and his tendency to get wild during exchanges, throwing wide and not moving his head, trusting his power. He has very good chin, cardio and resolve. And his opponent is Movsar Ivloyev, an active fainter who builds his game around his jab. Ivloyev likes to keep opponents at bay uh, with his jab, allowing him to put combinations together or forcing them to lead so he can wait for counter opportunities. He's good at moving his head and pivoting after countering and he has some stepping knees and kicks to add variety to his game. If pushed back, his defense defaults to framing with the lead hand and hiding behind his shoulder while trying to circle, very similar to Allen in that regard, uh, which most of the time works but uh, it can give openings for combinations and expose the body and the legs. Uh, Ivloyev is an excellent transition wrestler, he's good at changing levels of the dipping jab and the right hand into clean double legs, but can also change wrestle, especially against the cage with a variety of trips and a solid single leg series. Uh, good technical ground and pound uh, that mostly revolves around wrist control, and he's also adept at using rights and back takes to solidify control. 
If Loyev will give chances for his opponent to get back up, but his match return game is strong. If Loyev, though, is somewhat small for the division and really needs his transition game to be working to really be effective as a wrestler. But his conditioning and toughness cannot be put into question. Uh, this one is a matchup where Ibloye probably needs to play the wrestler role to win. Uh, he sometimes like mostly strikes or likes to mix it up a lot, but I think he needs to wrestle a lot here. Uh, he's in some aspect uh, better put together a striker than Allen, but Allen has more comfort and a sizable power edge that shouldn't be overlooked. Allen might have moments of a sketchy takedown defense, but he's kind of he's like the kind of a strong guy to deny and punish Ibloye for any kind of lazy shot. And also probably active enough to force Ivloyev to play the match return game against a bigger and stronger opponent. That said, we've seen Allen get wrestled by a smaller and less physical opponent in the past in the past in Mats Burnell. And even though he won that fight, uh, it exposed the limitations of his wrestling defense when he when his opponent integrates the striking and the takedowns well. It's been a long time since that fight, so it's hard to tell. Uh, he fought Nick Lentz, uh, but Nick Lentz is not as good as mixing the striking and wrestling, despite being a, like a better pure wrestler. Uh, but some of the mechanical deficiencies of Allen are still there to take advantage, both on the feet and grappling-wise. Uh, there are avenues for Ivloyev, particularly if he gets to pressure and can put Allen on the fence with consistency, but I gotta say with Allen for his good side-to-side -side movement, the side and the size and power edge, I'm thinking Allen wins a decision. Next we have a fight in the same division as the main event and we have a teammate of the champion, so we have Chris Curtis from Extreme Couture against Marc-André Barriolt from Killcliffe FC. Uh, let's talk about Curtis first. An experienced crafty southpaw boxer, Curtis can be too picky with his shots, mostly choosing to counterpunch, but he has good variety and punch selection and can fill the gaps with solid kicks. Uh, his good defense allows him to take his time in open space, making good use of the high guard, slips and footwork to evade longer combinations, but he prefers to counter early during exchanges, slipping, angling or landing same-time counters before the exchange prolongs. And he's also good at catching kicks and punishing and punishing those catches. A very solid body puncher, Curtis really gets on a groove when he fights opening to attack the body, be it on the counter or leading, and his output benefits big time for it. A very sturdy takedown defender, he's good at fighting grips, has heavy hips and fits the single to limb leg out of shots. Uh, the biggest flaws for, uh, for Chris Curtis, uh, other than at times the low volume, is his need to always be having his set feet for exchanges, which means he can beat move into shots or frustrated with lateral movement. Cardio and Shin seem to be fine despite his age and experience, but he can lack adaptability and tends to look for answers to the problems presented inside what he likes to do. On the other hand, we have Barrio, a fighter who lives and dies by pressure and pace, the Killcliffe FC product looks to either fight behind the jab or shake hands to land left hooks or right hands. He possesses a good amount of variety in his offense to give opponents guessing in the form of little stand changes, shifts and kicks to all three levels. Of note is his snap kick to the body that aids his attrition game. He's very aggressive in the clinch with knees and especially elbows and uppercuts that he finds from single collar ties, both against the fence and in open space, he will actively look for clinches, especially when fighters start feeling the pressure. Uh, he can be taken down if surprised with transitions, but he's a decent defensive grappler and has a good sprawl that he gets on point when the pressure starts taking effect. Barriolt is a decent but unspectacular athlete, and his defense relies on his grasp of the initiative and the lack of depth can be exposed when he's being the nail instead of the hammer. This middleweight bout should be action-packed as Burial will not allow Curtis to just sit on the, outside, on the outside waiting for counters and will be on his face forcing him to fight back. That could very well be to Curtis' advantage though. While Burial clearly has a process edge and can easily take over against inactive fighters, Curtis is the biggest hitter here and he's the slickest striker of the two. And I expect his defense to hold up and surprise the Canadian with his counter ability. If Curtis never gets going, this could get very ugly for him, but I expect his superior athleticism and technical edge 
to find him the big shots he needs to get going. So I'm picking Curtis to win by knockout on the second round. The next fight is contested at 170 and it is Neil Magny versus Mike Malott. Magny, uh, super lanky, he likes to fight at a high pace, long behind the jab, moves decently well on the outside, he's good at landing straight shots at opponents backing up from range and kicks add good variety to his attack. He often frustrates people into closing distance recklessly with his length and output and uses those opportunities to grab clinches. Clinching is Magny's A-game. He has a tendency to drown opponents in there where he's good at landing knees and small punches, mixing collar ties and overhooks, and he makes good use of his long levers and is usually comfortable from 50-50 positions. While not immediately damaging, his clinching style is draining on people and his cardio and size come to big use in those situations. Uh, the biggest weakness for Magny has been low kicks as he stays heavy on his front tube looking to jab, uh, power punchers who approach length parity can also make him uncomfortable and top grapplers have been able to submit him if they get past his decent takedown defense and manage to put him flat on his back. Age might be starting to show for Magni, while he was never a puncher he seems to be losing a bit of speed and physicality in the clinch, uh, but cardio remains a weapon. Malot is an athletic and big action fighter. He likes to close the distance with short combinations, looking to set up one big strike usually. Uh, he has an affinity for the 2-3, 3-2 uh, changeup, big body kicks and thudding right hands. Uh, Malot often switches to close the distance and his shifts are disguised by his kicks and shoulder feints. He's dangerous as a counter puncher, mostly because he throws back hard and has good mechanics in his hooks from both sides. Distance management and footwork are both decent but not much else in the way of defense. He hides behind his shoulder after punching but doesn't move his head much. Uh, he's decently strong in the clinch and can find trips from there and can also shoot serviceable takedowns. Once on the mat, uh, he's a very opportunistic grappler with heavy top pressure and passes but also dangerous in transitions with chokes, especially his front headlock series that has been a consistent show-ender throughout his career. Other than a loss all the way back at 145 in 2014 to fellow Canadian Hakim Dawadu, not much is known of Malod in hard fights, but his chin seems to be more than solid and has shown great composure during fights so far. Unless Magni is really past it, Malod will have to show new wrinkles to easily take him out of there, or he will have a tougher fight than he's accustomed to. It is not clear to me how much Malot game plans and adapts tactics from fight to fight, so it's going to be interesting to see if he brings a leg kick heavy approach here, which has been uh, the go-to strategy for many against Magni. Malot is long, so that could allow him to find his counters, but also there's a chance he's uncomfortable out there being the shorter fighter. Um, also, Malot is uh, somewhat improved in tough fights against veterans, and that makes me want to side with Magni, who has made like a career basically out of beating exciting prospects who lack experience and depth in the kind of fight he imposes on people. But I think uh, this is the stage where, where Magni starts losing to guys a few steps below that he used to. Uh, he has been having trouble even in the fights uh, he has been winning. And Malot seems to be the kind of dynamic and confident fighter to take advantage of the, of the situation. I'm picking Malod via second round submission here. And now we move to the first uh, of two title fights in this pay-per-view. And this one is for the vacant uh, Bantamweight title. This is Raquel Pennington versus Mayra Monosilva. So let's begin with Pennington. A crafty veteran, Pennington works behind single shots at open space, mostly with jabs and leg kicks, trying to get reactions to put combinations together. With decent pop in her hands, Pennington can get sloppy close in the distance, crossing her feet and crashing into her opponents, but she puts her hand together well. She's a lot cleaner when she puts combination together with her, with her feet set, as she goes to the body with wide hooks uh, well and does a good job of ducking and weaving under shots and coming up upstairs, putting long combinations where she's hard to hit. Her white blitzes can lead to clinches though, and she's effective there both from collar ties with elbows and knees, but mostly as a dirty boxer, landing good hooks and uppercuts, and, and releasing them to put uh, good combinations together. 
Defense at range can be suspect as she is better proactively moving her head than reacting. Not an outstanding wrestler, Pennington is good with transitions and is content to change level just to drive opponents to the clinch against the cage. Not only she can strike there, but also will grind for takedowns and the more she wears on people, the more likely they are to succeed. Decent top position grappler, Pennington has punishing ground and pound and is an opportunistic submission grappler. For Pennington, her flaws are her shallow defense when put on the back foot and her wild and sometimes sloppy means of closing the distance that can diminish the effectiveness of her transition game against the right opponents. Cardio is decent and her toughness is stellar. And her opponent is Mayra Bueno Silva, a switch stance kickboxer. Bueno Silva likes to operate finding hands at range, looking to set up big damaging kicks to the legs and body, and loopy punches upstairs, which she can put together in short combinations. Her hand fighting and framing can bait opponents into closing the distance, where she is happy to meet them with intercepting elbows or grabbing clinches. Bueno Silva likes, likes to go for hard knees from collar ties or use crossface into elbows before quickly disengaging in open space. And we'll also look for big hooks during breaks. Her defense on the field relies on blocking and her solid distance management, but her lack of head movement could present openings. She would also level change for takedowns, and while she usually doesn't finish takedowns in open space, she can drive opponents to the fence where she's a decent cage wrestler. Uh, on top of this, she has good counter throws in open space in close quarters. From top, Bueno Silva shines as she's a good passer with heavy pressure and will look for heavy ground and pound, but always in the pursuit of submission. Armbars and leg attacks are her specialty, but she can lose position and end up on bottom looking for them. But she will pursue them from her back too with a variety of setups. Her ability to get back up from underneath heavy top players is still an incognito. Bueno Silva is a plus athlete with a lot of confidence, but her cardio in a tough fight at 135 is unknown at the moment. In an interesting fight between two aggressive fighters, Pennington will probably be the one trying to make this ugly and dirty, but she will have to deal with the cleaner and more powerful long-distance striking of the Brazilian here. Inside the clinch, things are also interesting as Pennington is more active and plays the long game, while Bueno Silva is once again the more damaging uh, fighter, but likes to disengage more often than, than not after a few strikes. You would assume the longer the fight goes, the better for Pennington and the lack of head movement for Myra might give the American uh, chances to put her long combinations together to good use. There are avenues for the former challenger, but I'm expecting her to have trouble at open space against the better athlete, athlete and technician. And Bono Silva being a good grabber on top of that makes me side with her. I'm picking Bono Silva to win a decision here. And lastly, we move to the main event, the Yankee fight for the middleweight title, Sean Strickland versus Dricus Duplessis. Let's begin with Strickland. The champion is at his best when he's marching people down behind his solid and stiff jab. Strickland is not very concerned with trapping people against the cage. He likes to move his opponent around the cage with safe shots until opportunities for more damaging uh, strikes present themselves. To help with this endeavor, Stringland also has a nice snap kick to the body and will also grab clinches against the cage where he's effective at wearing people down, leaning on them and landing peppering shots. The right hand of Stringland is a bit messy mechanically, uh, but its loopy nature and his pickiness with it have allowed him to surprise a lot of fighters with it and he carries good power. While his footwork is often criticized for following people around the cage, Stringland is positionally sound when it comes to exchanges. What allows Strickland to employ the, uh, his classic great game plan of marching behind the jab is his defense and excellent vision. Uh, Strickland fights out of a narrow, tall stance and employs a hand-slow style that allows him to shoulder roll and parry a lot of shots. And in his last fight to earn the title, he showed a vastly improved ability to shake kicks, which was a weakness of him in the past. He relies a big amount on reactions and that's where his experience and eyes come into play as his big movements can leave him vulnerable, uh, historically to the left hook in particular. But there's still a system to his defense and he has defensive options in his flow chart if he makes the wrong read. Despite his stance, Strickland has been a solid defensive wrestler and his physicality and athleticism in close quarters is often undersold. Strickland will also change levels into body locks or will try his lock with trips once in the clinch and he's a solid grappler and can put decent ground and pound together when he feels he has control 
or during transitions. His cardio and the cardio management are outstanding and he has a very solid chin. His big flaw during his middleweight run, other than the defensive exploits that we already mentioned, is his lack of a real second gear to make a difference during close fights. But Strickland is mentally tough and keep focused during tough fights. And his opponent, Dricus Duplessis. Uh, the challenger is an awkward front foot loaded striker. Dricus likes having fights in neutral space most of the time, where he will fade with his rear hip and will march into big strikes if he feels like there's an opening. He has a very stiff jab and has a tendency to close distance with marching one-twos, but he can adapt mid-blitz to his opponent's reactions, be it looping shots when they look to counter, or punishing their retreats with kicks or leaping hooks. He's a powerful kicker too, but not much in the way of setups other than his fainting game. Uh, his defense relies moving his feet with his high guard up, and while his footwork mechanics are messy, he stays aware defending and remains a dangerous counter threat, as he can stop mid-retreat with intercepting shots, which have been a reliable tool to hurt and finish people in his career. Duplessis will also work very hard for takedowns, be it single legs in open space or doubles and body locks against the cage. He's not a very technical wrestler, but he's very physically strong, and he can find himself on, on bottom position of bad shots. Uh, he has decent Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu fundamentals, and that added to his big strength, uh, that allows him to work his way back to his feet when he has been taken down. He's solid technically and dangerous from top position, but he can leave openings during passes that allow his opponents to get back up. He usually gets tired during fights, but he's surprisingly good at fighting tired and also being tired help him to settle and fight a bit smarter on the feet, I feel. Uh, despite some awkward mechanics and uncoordinated moments, Duplessis has shown to be powerful and strong, but also very tough both physically and mentally. So yeah, maybe the Yankees title fight, <laughs> the start of heavyweight we've seen in a big while, but both fighters deserve credit for their legit great wins in their last outings. Uh, some of the most important things to look out in this one are how willing will Strickland be to get uh, on Duplessis' face and keep a high pace with his jab, and how effective Duplessis' feints will be at open space. It is not likely that Dricus will have consistent success countering Strickland's jab, as he has struggled with jabs in the past and he's better at punishing fighters closing into him, while Strickland throws uh, from a safe distance, hiding behind his shoulder. Uh, you would assume the longer the fight goes, the better for Strickland, but Dricus has shown the ability to both fight tired and carry his power late. So maybe a longer fight just means more chances. Strickland might also be susceptible to just wild blisses, as he's not much of a counter threat unless he is drawing the punch himself, and his big reactions leave openings, as we already mentioned. But at the end of the day, I think Strickland might just have the right style to fight safe for 5 rounds without giving to Plessy much to work for counterwise, and uh, figure out his leading limitations early enough. Uh, it's a winnable fight for the challenger, but my prediction is that the champion retains by decision. And that would be the whole event, guys. Um, it is a very solid one, to be honest. Uh, I was not expecting much, and it's very good. Uh, fights to look out for here. The opening, Gordon versus Flick. If you are into grappling, uh, there's probably going to be crazy scrambles on this one. So this one is probably going to be a good fight. Um... What else we have here? Uh, the Contender Series rematch. At first, when I saw I was like, Contender Series rematch, what the fuck? But then I, I saw the fight, and more importantly, I saw these two guys, and CD and Taveras are both, like, maybe not, like, super good right now, but they have a lot of potential, but they are so fun to watch. This one is going to be very good. This is the sleeper hit of the night for me. Uh, Jordan versus Woodson, it's made to be an action fight. This is going to be fireworks. Katona versus Arnfield, maybe it's exciting, maybe not so much. I would not bet on that, but it has the, the potential. We have Allen versus Ivloyev, that is uh, the most like division relevant fight after the title fights, so it, that's cool. And Curtis versus Varelt, I feel like it's very good matchmaking. It's going to be an action-packed fight. And it's going to be good. 
uh, to be honest, both title fights are like weird, but probably good fights, both of them, to be honest. Like, they're going to have action and violence. I do not expect uh, either fight to be very boring, to be honest. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good pay-per-view. Then again, I do not pay for pay-per-views, but I mean, I pay uh, an amount. <laughs> but I don't pay like anywhere close to full price for them here in Chile. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a good one. There's a lot of fun fights. Uh, sorry, guys, to get the pay-per-view ready so late in the week. But I was very busy this week. I hope you guys enjoy. And as always, if you guys want to support the fight site as an ongoing project, you can subscribe to our Patreon. For only $3, you can get access to our whole backlog of exclusive content there's a lot of there of that there from a lot of different authors so it's very interesting you have a lot to to have fun with if you subscribe and you also get access to our discord server uh that it's very cool a lot of cool people you can talk about fights you can talk about life it's all cool so again thank you guys so much uh shout outs to Dan Tom that who is always shouting me out and I'm so bad at shouting out people but yeah listen to the protect your neck podcast it's it's great it's a great podcast that Tom not only is very knowledgeable about the sport he has a great personality and sense of humor if you're not already listening to that podcast I highly recommend it not because not just because I've been there like three times but because it is a great podcast when I'm not there so yeah I mean thank you guys uh, any questions that you guys have about the fights or if you want to know like more thoughts about any particular matchup or something just hit me up on Twitter or if you are in the Discord just talk to me on the Discord I'm always willing to talk with you guys thank you so much I'll catch you on the next one